turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. It's found on page 406 in your pew Bibles, if you're reading along in your pew Bible. Nehemiah chapter 10. And actually I'm going to start at Nehemiah 9 verse 38. You'll see there, by way of introduction, you'll see, starting in 10.1, 27 verses of names. And not just any names, but Hebrew names. I will not be reading these 27 verses of names. (laughs) So I'm going to read chapter 9, verse 38. uh, And then I'm going to skip down to verse 28 of chapter 10 and read through the end of the chapter. Uh, Remember, this is God's good and kind word to you this morning. And I invite you to pay attention to his word. So 938. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Skip down to verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring all to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of all of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of all of our flocks. To bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns where we labor. And the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for God's help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we thank you for 
calling your uh, people in the Old Testament, Old Testament to recommit themselves to you, to the work of the church. Uh, Father, we ask and pray that you would help our hearts to hear the gospel of your grace as we uh, study this passage, uh, that we would see more clearly how you love us and have taken care of us. And we pray that you would help us to recommit ourselves to the work of the church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We've been walking through Nehemiah. We've been looking at Nehemiah for uh, at least three, uh, three reasons. We've seen three purposes. Uh, we're getting near the end of the study of Nehemiah. I just want to remind you why we started this. Uh, uh, there are some things that are going to uh, happen toward the end of this year, some, some uh, changes that are going to be made. Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, the, uh, the next group of leaders of the church, elders and deacons. Um, who are those men are going to be? And so the beginning of the year, I wanted to begin to prepare our minds to think about the way that God builds his church, the way that God has orchestrated the church and put it together for the sake of spreading uh, his good news and his kingdom all throughout the earth. Now, we've seen through Nehemiah at least these three things. We've seen a plan for building the church. Uh, the way that God would have his church to be built. And you understand, we're not talking about the walls of the church, the physical walls and the physical things of the church, although those things are important. But we're talking about the way that God would have us as his people be built up in the gospel. Secondly, we've seen a pattern for godly leadership. Um, The way that leaders in the church are meant to act, their character, and the things that they're supposed to do. We've seen those things. We'll see that again today. And then also we've seen the promise of God's victory. Over and over in the book of Nehemiah, we've seen God overcome amazing obstacles to gather his church, his people together in the Old Testament. And we're reminded that he still does that today. Um, What's the end goal in all of this, though? Why did God call the church into existence? Why has God decided to, to spread the gospel through the church Uh, Another way to ask that question is not just what is the church for, what's the purpose of the church, but why did God call you uh, to believe in Jesus Christ? Why is it? What's his end goal for you? I think God's end goal for the church is the same as the end goal for his people. And he has called us for this purpose. Um, Ephesians 1, 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that We were chosen in God before the foundations of the world to be beautiful, no, to be be really good musicians, no, to be really good athletes, no. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world to make everyone else feel bad about their not living up to our expectations of them or to 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 make them feel like we are better than them. God's called us for what purpose? Ephesians 1, 4, we have been chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world to to be holy and blameless in God's sight. That's his end goal for us. We are to be holy and blameless in God's sight. God expects from his people personal holiness. God expects for his people, called by his grace, saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ, to be holy and blameless before him. And today in this passage, we see God's people in the Old Testament 
committing themselves to that end. I want to look at this quickly in three ways. First of all, we're going to see the people that made uh, the covenant commitment. Secondly, we're going to see the pledge that they make. And then thirdly, the particulars. So people, uh, pledge, particulars. First of all, the people that make the covenant uh, promise. Now we skipped most of these people's names. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 27, this entire list of names. We've seen a lot of these names before uh, throughout the book of Nehemiah. I I didn't read them because it would have taken a great deal of time to trudge through these names. And by verse 15, most of you would have been asleep. So I didn't read them, but there they are in black and white right before you. The names uh, of the people representing everyone else. I want you to notice that. That's why those names are written there. The people that are making this covenant are the representatives of the people. They're the the leaders, the political leaders, or the the governmental leaders. Um, They are the nobles. They are the representatives of the people. That's verses 1 through 27. All of those names. And I want you to understand something. that These are the leaders of the people. Uh, Many places in the Old Testament, they would have been called the elders of the people. And I want you to notice something. They are making a covenant. And they said in verse 38 of chapter 9 that they are writing it down and they are sealing this document. And on this sealed, written down document are the names of these individuals. They are putting their names here in black and white so that they can be held to a greater uh, accountability than everyone else. This is the nature of leadership in the church. This is the nature of being a man in God's church and leading the church. You are being called to a greater responsibility and a greater accountability in the church. Uh, We have a famous example of this in American history. Of course, John Hancock, right? Say when you got to sign sign something, put your John Hancock on this uh, on this document. And, and why do we say that? Well, you remember the story that when it came time to write out the Declaration of Independence, John Hancock was the leader of that group. He was the first one to write his name. Uh, now you understand that document. In many of our representations, in the in the artistic representations, all of the men are gathered together. And they all rush forward to write their name on this document because they're all in agreement when, in fact, they had different conferences happening in different places, all agreeing to this one document. And so they would write out, they wrote out the document, and then they had it sent all through the 13 colonies. Well, John Hancock was the first one to sign this document. His name is the largest. And, and he wrote his name there as the leader of the people saying, my name goes first. And he wrote it larger, expecting that everyone else would write their name as large as he wrote his name. So when you look over that document, you see that his name stands out over everyone else's. Many of the names you can't even read, but John Hancock said, if we're doing this, we're doing this. And I'm going to put my name there and I'm going to be held responsible so that when the king comes and attacks us, He can find me and kill me. I will die for the sake of my freedoms. He did it leading the people. And that's what we see here. These nobles, these elders put their name on this document saying they will be held accountable for what they do. And understand this, they they would live among the people. And if the people saw them acting in a way that was not in accord with this document, they would be the first ones that would be called to account for that. 
It's a reminder to us that the leaders of the church go first. That we set the example and we live, all of us live publicly before everyone else, but especially the leaders of the church. Now what about the rest of the people? You see in verse 28, it wasn't just the leaders that were making this covenant. It wasn't just the elders. It was the rest of the people as well. And we're told that at least three places in these verses. In verse 28, the rest of the people. That includes the priests and the Levites and all the gatekeepers and the singers and the temple servants. And everyone who has separated themselves from the people of the land. What does this cover? Well, this covers all of the people that work in the official capacity in the ministry of the temple. Um, These are the hired people that would have served a a specific function uh, in the ministry of God. So all of the ministers, uh, but also all of the people sign their name to this. And they mark their name and they say, we are keeping a covenant with God. Uh, It is a call to the church, a call not just to the leaders of the church, but to all of us to live our lives according to the commandments of God. And you understand this. In the church, we are one body of people. We confess that week after week after week here. We read the Apostles' Creed and we read the Nicene Creed. and We take turns reading both of those different works, but both of them say that we are united to Christ and we are united together. That we are not lone rangers in Christianity going about doing these things on our own. We are together in the pursuit of righteousness. And guess what? I can't pursue righteousness effectively unless you are pursuing righteousness effectively as well. We never think about this. But you, and you never think about it, about it, sin in this way, but your sin affects your brother and sister in Christ. Sometimes that sin is obvious. Sometimes it's not. But your sin and your lack of pursuit of righteousness always has an effect on the church. We are in this together and that's what we see here as the people sign their name and say we are taking this covenant and recommitting ourselves together. In verse 28 we see this, that all of the people, what do they do? They separate themselves from the people's of the land. Um, this is not Christians saying that we don't want anything to do with the land or anything to do with the people. What they're saying primarily is, uh, and you see this, that they are going to stop marrying the people of the land, that they're going to stop having them come into their families, and there's a good reason for that. Um, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But we see them separating themselves from all of the things of the world uh, for the sake of. Going to God, that's what they say. All who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God. The church needs to be willing to be different than the world. The church needs to be willing to be looked upon as weird. Dave Ramsey says oftentimes that, um, that he'll talk about being weird. And he said, who wants to be normal? Normal is broke, okay? <laughs> we don't want to be normal. That needs to be the attitude of the church, that we don't want to be normal because normal is going to hell as quickly as you can. The church is called to be different, to live differently, and to live differently together. We need to be willing to be identified primarily by God's law. And this is a commitment for all of us. It's not just for the leaders again, but for everybody that claims the name of Christ, that has publicly professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's from the least of us to the greatest of us. And this is a high calling, and you can't do it alone. 
You need a church to do this. So first of all, we see the the people who make the commitment. Secondly, the pledge that they make. Look in verse 29. What do they do? They join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments that the Lord, our Lord, and his his rules and statutes. Uh, All the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and statutes. Uh, This is the meat of the covenant pledge. This is essentially what they're pledging to do. They say we are going to commit ourselves to living our lives under the rule of Yahweh. Under his rule, under his law. And they say, how are we going to do that? We're going to observe his commandments. We're going to follow his rules and statutes. And at this point, you hear this and you go, oh, here we go again. Another preacher is going to start talking about all the rules that we have to do and start making us feel bad about all the stuff that we haven't done right. And you're going to say, but but Christianity, we know it's not about rule keeping. Because... What we do is when we start hearing talking about the law, we think, well, that's legalism. I live by grace. I don't live by the law. And, and Christianity isn't about the law. And I agree with you to an extent. It is true that Christianity is not about following the law. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus following the law for us. That is what Christianity is about. It isn't about us. Now, most religions... Uh, I have said often, and I will stand by this, that every other religion besides biblical Christianity says that in order for you to be acceptable before God, you have to keep the rules. So you keep all of the rules, and then you get in. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is you get in through faith in Jesus keeping the rules for you. Jesus is the one that keeps the rules. You believe in that. You trust in that. And that's how you get into being a Christian. Christ did his work to make us holy like he is holy. But legalism is trying to make God happy, trying to make your life or or yourself acceptable before God by keeping the law. It's attempting to earn God's favor. And that's not what these people are doing. They are not looking at God saying, God, we hope you accept our work and we are committing to you because we know that's the only way we can make you happy. They're doing this as a response to the work that God has already done for us. They're saying this, because you have already saved us, because we have already experienced your grace and mercy, now we will respond to you by being holy and blameless and we will live our lives as becomes Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian. You don't do it in order to make God happy. You follow the rules because he has done everything for you. And this is your your sacrifice to him because of what he's given to you. Now, if you're a member of this church, you have made this statement. We have five questions that we ask members. And I asked members individually if they will answer those five questions. And then the elders of the church will ask those those people five questions to see if they will answer them in the affirmative. And then, after you answer the second time in front of the elders, then you come before the rest of the church and you answer those five questions. And you say those, those five questions. The first two of the questions, if you remember, are about your standing with God. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way for you to have salvation, that you were a sinner before him, and he's the only way that you can be saved? That's the first two questions that we ask. And then the next three questions that we ask members, will you commit yourself to the work of the church? Will you live your life as becomes a follower of Christ? Will you commit yourself to, the, to, to pursue the, the peace and purity? And actually we say to study the peace and the purity of the church. Will you do those things? And all of you who are members, you only get in to be a member of this church by answering yes to those questions. So here's what you do in that. You have committed yourself to living your life righteously before God. But again, you don't do it. To make God happy. The first two questions say, God is happy with me because of Jesus. And your service to him is the next three questions. I want you to understand something. That you have promised as God's people to not be gossiping. To not go out and to talk about people. To not be judgmental. To not set yourself up over other people and think yourself better than them. You have promised in this church... To not be spiteful or envious. To not look at someone else and say, well, they don't deserve what they have. I should have those things. You have promised to not be petty about the little things that tend to pop up in a small town. And the little things that would get in the way of our relationship with each other and the relationship with Christ. We have, those are the negative things we've said we won't do. But what will we do? We have promised to be kind to each other and to those who are outside of the faith. We have promised to be gentle with each other. We have promised to be humbled before each other. We have promised to be loving and patient and bearing with each other as we are all working out what it means to be followers of Christ together. And we've promised to treat each other as more important than ourselves. So the things that we really want, we look at them and we say, what I really want isn't important. Brother and sister in Christ, what you want is more important than what I want. Those are the things that we have promised to do. Now, if a church, if this church, if members of this church start acting that way, here when we meet together, but also when we leave the doors of the church, can you imagine what would happen? <laughs> I love this example of, of going to the grocery store and, you know, you have 15 items uh, and the line says you can only have 20 items and you go in and then there's a person that slides in right before you and they have 21 items and they're breaking the rules. Are you willing to say your time is more valuable than my time? Are you willing to say, go ahead. Because I have everything I need in Jesus, I can wait. <laughs> that's what we've, we say as Christians we're going to do because that's what Christ has done for you. He gave up his time. He gave up his glory. He gave up his throne for your sake. As Christians, we are to respond by doing the same thing because of what he's done for us. Uh, very quickly, I want to look at the particulars. Very quickly. Um, in verses 28 on through the end, there are five things that, that the people promise to do. And a lot of it involves their money. <laughs> a lot of it. Um, we only have a few minutes left, so I don't have a lot of time to talk about your money. But let me point you to those five things very quickly that they do. They promise to stop marrying non-believers. 
That's what the first thing. They say, we will not marry someone who is not a believer uh, in Yahweh. Why do they do that? Because you know what happens whenever a believer marries a non-believer? The very first thing that goes in that relationship, when that happens, is the worship of God. That's the very first thing that goes. Um, God doesn't say, don't, if you're a believer, don't marry a non-believer because they'll make you a bad person. He says, no. The problem is you'll, you'll lose your first love and you'll forget the importance of worshiping with God's people. They will drag you away from worship. So the second thing they do is um, uh, they say they're going to keep the Sabbath in verses uh, 31 or in verse 31. They're going to keep the Sabbath. Uh, they're going to rest on the day when they are supposed to rest. They're not going to do business. They, they say, you know what? We're going to devote ourselves to God and his word on the day that he wants us to devote to, to, to his word. And they do that. They say, we're not going to overwork ourselves. We're going to trust that God is going to provide all that we need in six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to rest. Uh, the third thing they do is they promise to support the ministry of the church. Now, they had a huge temple with lots and lots of sacrifices. And so you need a lot of things with that. Primarily, they need money. Uh, they need uh, to support the work of the priests as they're doing the millions upon millions of sacrifices that they have to do every single, uh, every single year. So they're promising to support the work of the priest in the temple. Uh, fourthly, they commit themselves to little details of the worship. There's, this, uh, there's about three verses in there where they talk about um, giving firewood. And you think, what? Firewood? What's the big deal about that, right? Well, you understand that in order to have sacrifices, they need wood to burn. And God said, here's how you're going to divide it up. It's not just for one person to bring the wood or for one group, but everyone splits that up. And you divide the labors, and God in his law says, this is how you do it. And so they promise to bring the wood that is necessary, the little details of worship. They promise to do those things. And then uh, fifthly, they promise... To make sure that the work of God continues. That's at the very end. We will not neglect the house of our God. They will not neglect the worship of God by participating in all the things that they are called to do. Here's what they do. Here's what the, here are the particulars that the people commit to. Notice they don't say we're going to be good people. They don't say we're going we're to do all of these things in order to be good and all that sort of stuff. No, their first concern is the worship of God. All five of those things are about the worship of God. Our first calling as Christians is to the worship of God. Now, our New Testament church is different than their Old Testament church. They did all of those sacrifices over and over and over, every day sacrifices. And then certain times of the year, they had special sacrifices and certain things they had to do. Now, thank goodness we do not have to do all of those sacrifices uh, there is hopefully no blood contained in any of this room because we are not over and over. Uh, you have blood, hopefully, but there's none up here because we're sacrificing. Uh, we're not doing those things, and we don't have to because we celebrate the finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were celebrating looking forward to that sacrifice and remembering what their sin deserves. We celebrate by looking back to the final sacrifice, and yet we still have little details and little things in this church that need to be done. We need people who are willing to step up and do little things like this. You know what this is? It's water. You know where you get it? You get it from the faucet. 
Every day for probably 25 years, I'm assuming Mr. Clyde has just done this. You don't even think about it. A small little thing that you can do. Molly makes the communion bread for us. It's a small little thing. She doesn't want to be recognized for it, but she does it. You notice Mills and Hastings, they play for us. The Dawson kids play music for us, leading us in music, giving back to the Lord. There are little things that we can do that we can do to help support the work of God. You can give your tithes. We're called to do that. You can certainly do that, but there's always things that we can be doing, little things for the sake of the worship of God. Not just to be a consumer of what happens here at church, but to give back for the work of God. All of these things, they they seem like they're so small, but all of them add up to be a very big thing, and that's what we do here. We begin our week together with God's people, saying that our lives are not our own. Our lives are for God, for Him, devoted to Him. And then from here, we leave this place and we face the rest of our week oriented to God. And we're going to come back again next Sunday and do it all over again. Think what happens when you neglect the worship of God. It's so easy to just say, I'm not going to go this week. I'm I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do those things. I'm, I'm not going to be a part of it. And then week by week, you neglect the worship of God. Well, that's what happened to, the God, to God's people. That's why they ended up going into exile. And yet God brought them back. I want to conclude by just asking you this. What are you committed to? What are the things in, that you're really ultimately committed to? It's probably the things that I've, I've been, as I've been preaching, they've been popping up in your head. And you're thinking about all this stuff that you have to do. What are you, what are you really truly committed to? The proof of your commitments is in your day planner. It's where you spend your money. It's where your mind goes when you have a moment. That's what you're committed to. But let me just remind you, God's people are doing this not because they think they have to do it to make God happy. No, they're doing it because God has committed himself to them. In Jesus Christ, God has married himself to you. He has said, come hell or high water, I will love you. God has said that even though you're going to get old and fat and ugly, I'm going to love you and care for you. Are you committed to him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message. We thank you for your Old Testament people committing themselves, recommitting themselves uh, to you. We pray that as your people in this church... That there would not be a day that goes by that we would not recommit ourselves to you because of what you have done for us. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you have given your son, that we are yours. We pray this in Christ's name.